Can't sell it anywhere else, man. It's right here in West Virginia. This is the Community Podcast with Zach Beard and Aaron Marco, two Morgantown real estate agents highlighting the good people of our city and state. We're taking you behind the sign, connecting interesting people, places, and faces. Why they do what they do and how they came to be doing it. We're building a better community. And our guest today, Jeff Arnett, many uh, realtors, of course, know him from the real estate world of closings, deeds, title. Absolutely. One of the go-to guys. Absolutely is. How long have you been in it? Uh, 22 years now. 22 years. Wow. I started in, uh, got licensed in September of 99 and pretty much jumped right into real estate right off the bat. And pretty much 90% of what we do is uh, titles and closings and real estate related matters. Very good. Now, were you born in Morgantown? Yes. Okay. So you're you and Aaron here. Born and raised. Yeah, Two my, locals. My dad taught at WVU for 40 plus years in history. Um, my mom was a public school teacher before she retired, and they both still live here in town. So, I mean, I think I spent two summers away from Morgantown. It's about all I've ever left the town. So, yeah, same here. And I knew you peripherally back in high school a little bit, you know. A little um, bit, yeah. Kind of ran into the slightly different circles a little bit, and I wasn't quite as, uh, maybe as a good a student as you were. <laughs> That's the way to say that. I don't know. Well, I, I did a little better in college and in, in law school than I did in high school, but uh, yeah. we had a lot of fun in high school, though. Yeah, a little bit too I much. I guess the, uh, actually, I keep my, keep my yearbook here. That was right from, there. Look uh, at that. Right, for closings, you'd be surprised how many people come in and they, you know, we graduate 400 kids in 91, and, and you know, people say, hey, we went to high school together. And it's like, yeah, sure, okay, let me look you up, you know, and then, then I can see them and recognize them because, Heck, you know, you, you run into people every time. You probably, like me, you get a high school reunion every time you get a Walmart. But Yeah, so <laughs> you won't find my picture in there. <laughs> I didn't quite make the cut, so. <laughs> well, that's. But I am interested to hear about some of the real estate stuff. You know, so for me, I'm relatively new into the uh, the residential real estate thing. So so I'm still learning a lot of this stuff. And they're, they're, it's kind of fluid. Right now, it's been a, you know, this is really the only thing I've known. It's hot and fast and fluid in the whole real estate market. And you really got to be on top of your game right now. And mm-hmm. um, really having good closing attorneys and things, that stuff ready to go is, is really integral to, to getting your deals done. Um, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the, in the county as well. What are some of those things you see going on in the county right now that's really affecting real estate? Well, the real estate thing right now, inventory, I mean, you guys would know better than anybody being, being agents. Inventory is the major driver right now. Or lack thereof. Lack thereof. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, you know, contracts come in with escalation clauses, you know, 5,000 over the highest offer up to a cap. They're taking out appraisal contingencies and inspection contingencies it seems to be the crazy one to me removing these appraisals uh, or not the appraisals yeah. but yeah the appraisal contingency dropping out and bringing extra cash to the table i've seen them come through with no financing contingencies and just assuming they're going to get the financing or assuming they have they can come up with the money some other way to buy these houses it's just the market's so nuts it's that's a dangerous thing to do i mean in my opinion as oh. far as representing a well, yeah, you advise them against it, but yeah. ultimately, you know, ultimately the, the, the client wants to make the call. I mean, I saw a house in Greystone went on a market on a Monday at six hundred fifty thousand, and they had twenty two showings. I in, showed that in house forty eight hours with escalating clauses, ended up going under contract and closing at seven and a quarter with no appraisal contingency. Yeah. So, it, for the viewers that don't know, the appraisal contingency basically indicates that you sign a contract for a parcel of real estate say at 200,000 and you have a uh, contingency that it has to appraise for that in order for the, you know, you to be bound by that contract. And if the appraisal comes in under 200,000, well then you can renegotiate with the seller or you can walk. 
and uh, they've been taking these contingencies out. So if you come in under, uh, and the bank only loans you one hundred ninety thousand, then you've got to come up with a ten difference. But I've yeah, now it seems to me, and Zach, you'll you'll know this better that, than I because you've been in this so long. Do you think a lot of this is coming from recommendations from these people's realtors to take these tax? I mean, I know the market is thin. Um, and you got to be very competitive to, to get the house, but, but you're giving up potentially your, uh, equity in this house for multiple years and, uh, to come and depending on the deal you make, you, you may never really come back to even, am I overstating that? I don't think so. And that, I think it's a dicey question. And of course you don't ever want to speak poorly about another agent's, you know, duty to their client. But I mean, personally, I, you know, how many times have we sold a home, you know, and someone's jobs changed or someone's unfortunately passed away and they have to move on, you know, maybe even before that year mark. And like you just said, it, you get yourself in a, I just paid 10 more than this is worth. Now and I can't, then you I can't resell it, it now. Yeah. And you know, you're just not going to get your money back on it. Yeah. You've lost your equity completely because he didn't have any to start with. And yeah. It's a product of the market and you know, is the inventory controls what's out there. If you've only got one house in a price range and you got 20 buyers, want that house obviously it's good for the seller but it can be very negative for the buyer in the long run or in the short run as you're just indicating and it is and i have to personally wonder what does that do to the real estate market going forward you know i don't i don't really know what those potential pitfalls may or may not be um but i'd have to think there there, there's going to cause an effect to everything and i don't know what those unintended consequences may be well we saw it back in uh, 2006 2007 it was a similar bull market like this where you had very low inventory and very high demand and then the mortgage crisis hit in 2008 and a lot of people were stuck upside down in their houses as a as a result of of that crazy market and then the sudden influx of uh, inventory to the market kind of drove prices way down so kind of seems to me that a lot of the buyers right now are actually qualified for the money they're getting because the interest rates are so low and maybe the the difference there was you know the 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 borrowers at that point in time were you know uh, subprime you know, I mean, te- technically, they just weren't really qualified Nationally. to take on the, the the amount of debt they were taking on. This doesn't quite seem, at least initially, to me to be quite the same. Am I seeing that right? Yeah, no, I I think you're right. It's two different two different markets than it was, which is kind of an example on, yeah. on how that can that can affect resale and and right. ability to sell quickly or the ability to sell and get back what you've got in it. I'm curious to know how this Zek is going to affect appraisals going forward. You know, if someone's willing to pay, if there's 10 people willing to pay a certain amount for a property, um, I know these guys, you know, appraisal to me seems equal parts art and science. And um, the science part, you know, is hard data facts and, you know, this equals that. And um, this has to affect it to some degree, don't you think? So now what do you mean? You mean just because there's a willing buyer? Well, typically this this house in this neighborhood would appraise for, let, let's call it $250,000, but we got a team of like six different people willing to pay $325,000 for it. Um, does that not tell me that the house is worth $325,000 in the market? Very well may. I've, I've, I've argued that before. Right. You know, well, it, the problem with that is these appraisers use comps over the last six months of like houses in the area within a certain mile radius. So if you get houses go through, it's that first appraisal you wonder how it came in. Right. The second, third, and fourth one you can understand because you've got the comps that can justify it. But but does that not seem to be inflating? Oh, the, absolutely. Those, right. And, absolutely. You know, so it is, it, is, it, is it an artificial inflation of the market? I don't know if it's artificial because it, it, it's showing consistency, at least for the last year or so, that the, the houses are maintaining that position. But, you know, 
I guess it could be in the sense that as you, as you go down the line, that may not be the market in a year or two, and then it's going to come back to earth. I mean, it's certainly, a, as we say, a bull market or it's an inflated market right now. There's no question. So will that come back down as it did, you know, because of the 08 crisis? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of fears like that. You keep pumping money into the economy, and it and, and it's kind of a false inflation of the economy rather than just straight on, on the numbers you usually look at as far as a job loss and and income from these companies that that's kind of set the standard in the market. But, you know, I'm not an economist, so I, I just know, find it greatly interesting to see the dynamic that's taking place right now. And just, you know, Oh, it's crazy trying to figure out, we're always trying to figure out the next move, you know what I mean? And, and certainly to advise our clients correctly as well. That's, great, that's the big deal. I mean, we have a duty to our yeah. clients to make sure we're giving them the best advice possible. No, I agree. And I think, you know, I think so long as, you know, we're doing our duty and we can take the emotion out of it for the buyer and say, here's the facts. And if they can make their own decision based on that, you know, sometimes you have to have a home. What are you going to else are you going to do? And if you're, if you want to win, you know, and get to where you need to be and have somewhere to sleep at night, sometimes you might have to pay a little more, even if you don't want to. So, so long as you can have that, I think that honest discussion with your client and, you know, like I said, remove the emotion that they're having and say, here, here's what it is, black and white. And they guess like, yep, I understand that. Oh, absolutely. Um, then I think you've done your duty. So I guess the, the follow-up question to that is, what's driving such a demand in the, in the Morgantown, uh, Montegay County market right now? You know, that's a good question because I think everyone thought with the closing of Milan that we'd have this influx of uh, houses on the that's, market. That's the way people were thinking. But it hasn't happened, and I think the, the reason it hasn't happened is, is, A, about half of the Milan jobs are gone. Now, you still have the plant on Collins Ferry, and you still have the operations center up here on Greenback that, that have kept a lot of those, those folks working. But you also have large severance packages that have gone out to the, both the union and the non-union folks, um, you know, up to a year, year and a half in some cases. So the, I think a lot of people right now with the, with the plant just closing at the end of July are kind of, you know, taking stock. They're living off their, their severance, and then they're seeing what's going to happen. I mean, I think when they first announced the plant, we saw a little bump in inventory for those initial people that saying, okay, I'm not waiting around for this. Let's, let's get this moving now. And then now we've got a, a situation where I think – over the next year or so, you'll start seeing some of these houses come on the market, assuming that they that, that folks can't find other jobs here in the area, which hopefully they can can stick around because we we certainly need the population and we certainly need a talent and workforce, which we had at Milan. So, so you're seeing a little bit slower trickle of those houses coming into the market, not a glut of them at one time. That's kind of what we've been seeing. I think uh, I think we all thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. We're going to have you know 300 houses on the market in the same week. And then that's going to drive prices down. It'd be good for buyers, but it could possibly be bad for sellers. But we really haven't seen that hit as yet. Yeah. No, yeah, not at all, which is I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for. Yeah, me too. Sure. So what are some of the things at the, the, on, at the county and state level that are doing to help mitigate this uh, transfer of jobs from Milan? Well, what we've been doing, and, and I, I don't think we mentioned this earlier, but I'm, I am one of your three county commissioners here in Montague County, and we have been working diligently with uh, with our Morgantown area partnership. Russ Rogerson um, runs that for us, and um, he's a great asset in, in trying to bring in businesses to replace these jobs. I mean, you've probably read in the paper, or heard some tell about the uh, the plant that's going in at the um, industrial park and the expansion of that industrial park. We've been integral in assisting with that TIF in that area. So a, a TIF is a tax incentive financing district. So basically what it does is it takes an area that otherwise – isn't ripe for development either it's it's too cost ineffective or it's in a blighted area that otherwise wouldn't be developed by a developer and it and it 
it redistricts that area, certain square mileage of that area, so that the real estate taxes that are earned on that property going forward for the life of the TIF go to pay back the bonds that were sold to raise the money for the development. Basically, in, in that predicament, you've got an area of that industrial park that needs to be expanded all the way up to uh, I-79. To, and part of that project is to put in a new exit ramp there at Harmony Grove where you see the bridge that goes over um, the interstate. That's 79 is, right there before River West Road. Over, yeah. Yep right up from the Uffington Bridge. Well, that when that exit goes through, that's going to give direct access to that industrial park and that whole area. It's going to be a boom for the Harmony Grove area. I mean, property values are going to go up there and developments are going to start popping up because suddenly you won't have to drive all the way through Westover to get to where you're going. It'll be right on the interstate. So we've been working hand-in-hand hand with the developers over there trying to get that TIF going because we, there is a plant that's committed to coming up there. Um, they, we've not released... They haven't released the name of it yet or had a press conference yet. The governor's office is going to handle that. But it could lead to three to 500 industrial jobs here within the next couple of years. And maybe have further expansion from that offshoot of that different sister companies or companies that want to piggyback off whatever company that is coming in. Um, there's some potential for that coming down the road. So you could see a whole industrial boom in that area based upon our ability to craft that TIF district so that that can happen. I mean, just expanding the water and the sewer alone up up through that industrial park is almost an $8 million project. So, And that's what the def- deferred tax money is used for, is to in place that um, uh, infrastructure type stuff, electric, water, roads. Absolutely. Um, the, the, it, it helps get that to where you can get pad-ready sites so these companies can come in and develop. It's the same kind of thing we saw at Westridge yeah. and at the, um, at the town center. Those were areas that would have been very difficult to develop um, on, a, on a private developer's own dime, no doubt. Uh, basically. And so if you don't have that incentive to have them come in and do the development, those areas will stay undeveloped. And I, I don't think anyone would argue that the uh, University Town Center and now Westridge have been a, a wonderful addition to the county and, and kind of a boom for that area. And uh, hopefully we'll continue moving on forward and, and creating companies coming in and creating jobs for either people graduate from WVU or this uh, incredibly skilled market um, we have now with these workers that displace workers from Milan they need a place to work. So hopefully we can keep working towards getting them a place to, to, to go every day and clock in and clock out, so to speak. For sure. So before we dive too much further into all that, uh, what was kind of your driving force in, as far as getting on the commission? Well, I, I, was, well, I wanted to run for commission for, for a few reasons. First of all, my, my great-grandfather was a commissioner in the 50s, or actually in the 40s. And uh, so growing up, it was kind of always, a, you know, a thing around the household, you know, that it was kind of neat to, to have that legacy. And then he actually died in office, and they appointed my uh, great-grandmother to take over his spot. She was one of the first female commissioners, maybe the first female commissioner, definitely in Montague County, but one of the first in the state. So that kind of historical perspective of it was always kind of in my mind. And I always kind of wanted to give back and, and, and participate in government in some way, but... With the nature of my business, I, I couldn't run for Senate or, or, or House because you have to shut your practice down for six to eight weeks. Well, you guys know being in real estate, if, if you're gone for six to eight weeks, they're going to go somewhere you're else. Done. And yep. your business is going to close up. So this, this position allowed me to stay local. Um, or it takes time on Wednesdays and Fridays, but uh, we can still run a, an, an effective practice without, uh, without shutting down. Um, and, I, and I became concerned with... with uh, with some of the issues that were coming about, I wanted to keep my eye pretty closely on this um, subdivision regulation that, that's, that's being proposed. Um, it's, a, it's coming up from the uh, Planning Commission. 
to kind of uh, put a gauge on uh, on subdivision uh, regulation in the county as far as subdividing, taking any large piece of property or even a small piece of property and dividing it into smaller tracts. There, there will be a whole list of regulations that go along with that now. Currently, only the city of Morgantown and the West Run Public Service District have those restrictions. Yep. But anything outside of those areas is pretty much um, free game, rather other than the you still have your regulations with the DEP. So anytime, Which primarily pertains to the stormwater planning? or Exactly. And that was only put into place probably, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to misstate the years, but 20 to 25 years ago, um, the DEP really stepped up and required a stormwater um, permit before you can you know, have any type of subdivision and any kind of development in Mont County. And that's done a, even talking to the folks at MUB, that's made a big difference in water, stormwater runoff in development over the last 20, 25 years. These, these problems we're seeing with drainage in Mon County are, are not necessarily a direct result of overdevelopment, more of infrastructure lacking in the development that's gone on for the 80 years prior to that. So when there weren't... Are there any examples of that uh, previous development that is maybe contributing to some of the uh, floodwater problems we're seeing? Well, you've got the areas in Suncrest, and, and I don't know much about the engineering of it, and I, I won't necessarily state that there's 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 problems with the way they're done, but when you see the flooding we've had there in two separate instances in the last you know couple of months, it, there, there's something going on. I think four foot of water in the middle of uh, you know these roads is kind of a... You know, it states a problem. It's yeah. an issue. Now, you've got a, a couple of issues there. One where you've got, um, you know, some reports had up to six inches of rain in an hour and a half within a square mile. Right, yeah, you get that. No matter how much planning you do, no matter how much drainage you have, you can't handle all that water. There's no – these these uh, drains and these systems are set for 100-year storms. Well, there were some estimates that, I, that I've heard from engineers that, that this could have been up to 1,500-year storms. I don't know how you could possibly gauge – 1500 years I, I don't know but but those are the kind of things we were hearing um at least from the engineers that that's, that's again out of my bailiwick but so you've got this intense amount of rain in in a, in a very focal area and, and it just created problems that the system couldn't handle now there were some certainly some maintenance issues that, that contributed to that lack of clearing of ditching and drains um and things like that um and in a couple of issues that that mubs aware of that they're trying to address as far as fixing some specific areas. And and uh, as far as the commission goes, we're talking to them about that and seeing what we can do to help in that regard. We have gotten a, a grant from the ARP funds, the federal stimulus money of uh, over $20 million that the county can spend. The city has a, a like amount. And we're looking at projects. Um, that money is relegated to drainage, um, water, sewer, and uh, broadband uh, expansion is what uh, the monies are earmarked for so we're looking at all those areas and seeing how we can best spend that money to a fix any issues that are out there that are really hampering down on our on our taxpayers and, and b to help with development and um, try to continue to make mon county grow so is that some of those funds is that going to be set aside for that orphan road program at all no the orphan road program none of the funds um are, are, are earmarked from that. It's a totally separate pot. Okay. Um, the, the Orphan Fund is kind of a new project that, that we've taken on, and, and what we're doing there is we're trying to, and we're still developing how that's going to work schematically, but it, it basically is areas that otherwise can't be roads that can't be fixed, and, and you've, when you've got a large impact area, a lot of citizens that have these issues of accessibility to their neighborhoods, it becomes a safety issue. Um, as far as fire service or, or emergency services can't get back to these places because the roads in some cases are so impassable. 
And what's happened, what we found with a few proposals that have come to us so far is there are areas that were developed a long time ago and the developers just simply abandon the roads going into them. Um, and so they're not really owned by the associations. I mean, your average association like Greystone, every homeowner owns a one, let's say there's 300 units, everybody owns a one 300th interest in those roads. And so when the roads need paved or the roads need graded or ditched, then everybody in the neighborhood pitches in and pays for it. Well, when you don't actually own the roads, it's a little difficult to go pay for. There's a legality issue there, whether you can pave a road that you don't own, mm-hmm. even though you technically have a right to use it um, by having a right-of-way. So we're looking at those projects. It, it's not a huge program. We're not going to tackle every problem in the county. I'm sure there's hundreds of them out there, but we, um, we're doing the best we can and talking to the folks that bring us the proposals on, uh, on, on the ones that are coming to us, basically. So what we're kind of looking for there is, is the number of houses that it affects the severity of the damage or the severity of the, of the degradation of the road. Um, and uh, the folks kind of have to have some skin in the game. And that's a recurring theme that I've noticed in my seven or eight months here on the commission so far is. Yeah. A fair amount of skin in the game too. Yeah. We like, we, we like there to be some, uh, some community contribution um, for that particular area. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to put a percentage on it. We haven't done that yet. We're looking at it a case by case basis, but um, we like to see significant community input, and uh, hopefully, we can help some folks with that program. Yeah, that really interests me. You know, we've, there's a handful of developments I know of that have been in discussion with submitting some stuff over to you all about that. Oh, okay. It just seems, it seems like a pretty good little program over there. Hey, let's take a break and check out this week's community moment. Fairmont, make some noise out there. You guys ready? Palatine Park is ready. They're ready to rock and roll all summer long. The best bands that are up and coming, local musicians, a diverse choice of talents. Palatine Park gives a perfect family-friendly atmosphere. All events are free to the public, so check out the event schedule to see what's coming up. See everyone this summer. Classically, West Virginians have been very protective of their property rights. You know, that's my property. I want to do with it what I want to do with it, and you don't get a right to tell me what to do with my property. How does the, uh, the new planning and stuff going with developments, how does that impact that to some degree? What are some of the new rules that are coming up, and how is that going to impact people in, as far as a countywide um, rules and regulations set that's going to deal with these uh, developments? Well, it, the proposed regulations, if I've, as I've reviewed them, could potentially certainly affect uh, folks' ability to do what they want to do with their property. Um, it, I would just encourage anyone to go on to the Mon County uh, Planning Commission's website and the proposed regulations on there, and there's some videos and examples on there. Um, what is this? Uh, what is the website again? Oh, it's the Montague County Planning Commission. If you just okay. type that into Google, it'll pop right. up, and there, there's a there's a there's a full PDF of the um, proposed regulation on there, as well as some examples with videos that are given. But yeah, it, w- it would significantly affect your ability to do exactly what you want to do with property, um, as far as the number of lots you can put within a subdivision, the streets that go within it, the drainage, uh, all kinds of things that are on there. Um, it's pretty easy to find. I found it in five seconds this morning. I typed in Mon yep. County. And ultimately, those things are going to drive costs potentially higher, you would think. Uh, it could it could have that. I've heard both sides of it. Uh, the, the opponents of, of the regulation have certainly stated that it will certainly drive the prices way up or pass that cost down to the ultimate consumer, the ultimate home buyer, the ultimate lot buyer, 
Well, of course, it's going to trickle down to the home it's buyer. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, um, the the proponents of it would indicate that it will have such a dramatic improvement on the development in the area that will actually alleviate so many problems that you could have some cost-saving effects as a result thereof. I, I won't advocate either position um, personally because of my uh, you know, position on the on the commission and the fact that, that those regulations will ultimately come before us for a vote. But what are some of the problems that we're currently experiencing, and how would those rectify those? Do you know? Can you speak to that in any well, way? Well, what I've heard is some of the impetus behind these um, proposals are, 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 are drainage and, uh, and roads. Um, so th- those are the kind of some of the general thoughts that I've heard. I mean, you, you hear horror stories about what, what they call bad developers or bad builders that don't necessarily follow, you know, what they should as far as planning and setting up streets and drains and roads and, and things like that and not putting those things in a, in a, in a place where they have long-term viability. And so then the HOAs at some point either has to just continue uh, maintaining a poorly set up product to begin with, or they have to go back in and redevelop some of this stuff. I mean, what, what is the impact exactly? Well, well that can be certainly now, as far as with HOAs go, your modern HOA is, is controlled by a statute called 36 B and it, it states basically that any subdivision over 13 lots has to adhere to a certain set of rules and regulations that, that the statute provides. So most of those that fall under the 36B subdivisions are probably okay. Um, and especially if they've been done within the last 20, 25 years, their stormwater retention has already been filed with the DEP. They've had to follow those regulations through, and those that water is probably discharged in a manner that doesn't overwhelm the system. The, the whole impetus behind the drainage is, like you'll see in the, in the neighborhood beside us, there's a, there's a giant pond mm-hmm. at the edge of our parking lot. Well, developers aren't putting in these ponds in order to have them look pretty. They're putting them in so that if you get a glut of water within a very short period of time and you've got 30 houses that are all collecting that water on their roofs and running it down the downspouts and into the drain system, that the water has a place to go. It fills in the basin, and then you'll notice in the middle of that pond there's a giant uh, catch basin or a, a silo right. that has a hole in the top of it. Overflow well, spout. Yeah, so the water has to come up 10 or 15 feet before it even starts seeping into that system and then slowly seeping out into the drains that run along the side of the road. Those systems work, and like the new development off of uh, 43 and uh, out there off Sunset Road, um, Hidden Brook it's called, they put over $300,000 in subterranean water retention, so you don't even see a pond. They have these giant cement cribs that are buried under the ground that hold water and slowly seep them out. So you might have a, a week after a rainstorm, you might still see water slowly seeping out of these drain systems. It's a wonderful system. Um, it costs a lot of money, but uh, I mean that's an no example of, subdiv- of a subdivision that's really been done correctly. Good stuff. So that that art funds you also mentioned earlier, I think before we started recording, that some of that is being used in a way to help offset some of this myelin. Well, that's what we talked about with the development, and, and not necessarily offset myelin, but enabling the county to put us in a position that we can be attractive to outside um, development, outside companies, corporations know that we're a place that's up and running to do business, that we have high-speed internet, that we have a talented workforce, that we have areas they can come in and put their factories or put their businesses um, that have access to all of those. Well, you touched a real important one there. And um, one of the things that's driving, I think, West Virginia, or at least one of the things that is uh, available to West Virginia right now is is bringing um, more population in. Um, And so our quality of life offers a lot of really great outdoor amenities and so forth. The problem classically has been a lot of it is 
a lack of broadband, a lack of uh, good internet connection. What can you tell us about the infrastructures being developed there and, uh, and what, what's looking at on the horizon? Well, with the broadband, we're the first county in the state to put out an RFP uh, to do an entire broadband um, proposal for the entire county. So right now we, we've entered into a, a contract with a group that uh, they're called Ice Miller, and they're doing a comprehensive plan for the entire county. So we're getting a blueprint right now um, that will be presented to us in February on how we can get broadband to the entire county. That includes all the way out in the western end. That includes areas that, that you may think have broadband already that really aren't served. If When you got your tax bills um, that came out in uh, July, you also got a survey in there to do a speed test on your Internet at your house and to uh, let us know where the house is and what the Internet's like. So that's going in to contribute to that. So a lot of those ARP funds are going to be earmarked for that broadband expansion, whether it be with fiber or with microwave technology or with working in conjunction with uh, different providers to, to get broadband to as many places as we can. I mean, this pandemic has shown us, especially with our education of our kids, that, that they need high-speed Internet all over the county, not just in the places that are close to the city. So we are spending a lot of money on that plan and we're going to spend a lot of money on getting fiber and getting different. Uh, it's not just all fiber. It's whatever, whatever is available out there to get high speed to these areas as quickly as we can so that they can attract businesses. They can keep businesses. The kids can be, can do their work remotely. Hopefully we don't have to do that, but I'm afraid we may be having to here in a little while. Uh, granted, I don't have any insight at all. The Board of Education, <laughs> I have no say whatsoever with the Board of Education or any insight therein. But, I'm but just, you know, uh, that availability of Internet really impacts um, a lot of people's decision on what house they're going to buy. Zach, have you had any clients that that's been one of their top priorities? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, prohibited maybe some houses they would have preferred to buy. Certainly. Yep. And a lot of and those were historical things, you know, maybe five, ten years ago. I haven't seen it so much recently. But, you know, think about just our normal day to day lives. You know, the things we do on our phones, the computer. Oh, you got to have it. You can't. You can't hardly do anything without internet. Oh, yeah. And especially with so much telework um, and telemedicine and tele this and tele that. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 really become a necessity. It's it's not it's not a luxury in any way whatsoever. I know I've had several clients recently that wanted to buy houses in particular areas, but the internet was poor and they just would not do it. Well, we especially have a problem on the western end of the county. Um, Blacksville and, and, and on out uh, in that area. And a part of that problem has been exacerbated by the fact that our emergency services tower had to come down a year ago. Um, it was uh, it, it, it was corroded and was about to come down on its own, so we took it down. Well, the problem with that is on top of that tower was cellular um, U.S. cellular's tr- um, transponding equipment. So they were sending a cellular signal out there that a lot of folks use for their Internet. Rather than broadband, you'll use your you know, sure. create a hotspot with your phone and and so when that came down, so did their transponder. So they put up a few temporary towers, but they don't give the coverage that it gave before. Now, now our new tower is almost up. It may be up completely by now. Um, Jimmy Smith at the uh, at Mon County EMS and 911 has gave us an update a few weeks ago that it was uh, it was getting there. So we're pretty close. Now, we don't have control over when the you know, U.S. Cellular is going to put their equipment back up on that tower, but we, we have been in contact with them, and they're, they're – they're in process of doing that as well. So hopefully that'll in, at least get the folks on the western end back to where they were before this tower had to come down. But for a while there, that you can barely get a bar in a lot of a lot of those areas. Out yeah, there that's good news for them out there for sure. Oh, it, yeah. It's bad. So yeah, it realistically, how long does a project like this take to actually approve, implement, and then you know see some success from it? 
That's a good question. Now, the first step is the uh, is the comprehensive plan, which, as I said, we we're the only county in in the state that that's elicited that. I mean, and and we're going to have that plan in our hands. We're promised it by the end of February. So until I know what the plan is, it's kind of difficult to say how long it's going to implement. Sure, and there's a lot of work. I mean, you got to look at topos and everything of the terrain to figure out what you can even do. This group is looking it's, at everything. I mean, it's unbelievable that how comprehensive they're getting and and. And we've done they've done a lot of work with uh, existing right of ways that either the county or the city already has that that they're looking into accessing for this. So a lot of times these projects get tied up by um, lack of ability to 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 put things where you need to put them. You have to get right of ways from property owners. Uh, the mile ground is a great example. That project should have been done four years ago, but there are several eminent domain cases tied up in court that they can't finish that project to expand it to the four lanes until those cases are completely adjudicated and it's just the the wheels of justice spin at the speed they do it's not the court's fault it's not the judge's fault it's just uh it's a it's a combination of you know filings and responses and what times they take and those kind of things so it's the same issue with broadband you've got to get the right-of-ways lined up well they're doing a lot of that legwork now so hopefully we'll be able to hit the ground running next summer with really implementing this plan um you know. so what all goes into a pr- you know that right-of-way process of you know if i've got a track of land and you're coming to me and say, hey, we want to run this cable here overhead, underground, whatever it may be. Yeah. It's a monetary thing. It's, it's a matter of how much money it costs to get the, uh, to get the right-of-way put through. A lot of folks are welcome it, and they don't even want it anymore. They're like, you're going to put broadband? Great. Yeah, it take in. it. Take it in. You, you know, you're, I'm going to have it in my house. That's wonderful. If all you're going to do is you put in a line, it's not going to affect me. Just keep it toward the road so it doesn't mess with building and all that does is increase their property value, as, as you were talking about. You get right. folks that don't have broad. you got to track the land that doesn't have utilities first of all you can only do one lot per acre because for a septic system that's what you have to have according to the health department but if you can get septic out there you can have six lots per acre i mean cheek crossing hidden point hanalei ashbrook these places are all predicated on six lots per acre where of course you're maximizing your value but if you if you have to have a septic system you can only have one lot per acre so it's the same thing with broadband it's water it's sewer it's electric it's gas i mean you get the utilities to property the values go way up and it's the same kind of idea so it's only going to help people that have but you'll find some people that are just kind of being impetuant and not you know willing to play along um, yeah i don't have any personal experience with that but i can imagine that would be certainly yeah. there's always going to be somebody i don't come on my land i don't care about broadband you know <laughs> But uh, hopefully most folks are, are, are see the big picture, and I think they will. I mean, that, Yeah, hopefully there's a few and far between, and if not, there's a guy next door. Exactly. I mean, broadband's everybody's got to have it now. I don't, I don't care how far back you are in technology. I, I, there aren't too many people that aren't affected by it anymore. I guess some people still have dial-up, and that's it. But Yeah, and that's maybe not by choice. That's because they don't have that line ran through their property. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I don't know if there's, we've mentioned AOL disk before. I don't know if there's still anybody doing internet by dial-up, but. <laughs> I don't know. I hope not. I haven't there seen it. Be. Yeah, the worst thing I know about is uh, DSL. Yeah. Yeah, now that's, that's rough as can be. Yeah, and that, that was worlds ahead of old dial-up. So. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, back in the day, if you had DSL, you were golden, but now. Yeah, now it's, it. you can't watch. Uh, like say you're talking, somebody can't even watch Netflix, but they're, you know, I don't know what you do without. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have Netflix. You don't have Netflix? <laughs> I do There's not. no way. Uh, I do not. Huh. All right. That's how it is. <laughs> well, anything else we want to touch on before <laughs> we wrap up? We're getting. I yeah. think that's about it, man. That was a, we covered a lot of ground there, a lot sure. of good information, really. Absolutely. Just 
Anybody listening, if you haven't filled out your broadband surveys, do it. All it is is collecting information so we can get broadband to you. That's pretty much what it boils down to. So if you saw those in your tax bills, I mean, a lot you get your tax bill, you put it in a drawer until you know you've got to pay it. But but open it up and check out that survey. Cause so so realtors out there, too, when you get that call about my tax bill, maybe you guys can uh, be cognizant to say, at least yeah. check out your uh, your broadband. The rest of it, it's already taken yeah, care of. And, and for anyone buying or selling a home, the tax ticket's not going to be in your name the first year. Um, if you close this time of year, you are going to get a letter from the sheriff that says notice of unpaid taxes. They're talking about a tax bill is due in February. So it's going to be red and scary looking. It's going to be scary looking. It's going to come from the sheriff and people coming from out of state that move in here. They're not used to getting tax bills from a sheriff. They're used to getting from a tax office. So you get a letter from the sheriff that says notice of unpaid taxes. It's going to freak you out, but you don't need to freak out. Just call me, call Zach, call Aaron. We'll explain it to you. It's not a problem, but um, it is a scary letter to get. But. Well, hey, Jeff, that was a lot of great information. Really appreciate you taking your time and jumping in on a community podcast here and kind of, you know, spreading some knowledge on people. Really appreciate it. Absolutely appreciate it, guys. Let's do a plug for you, too. What else do you offer as far as your service as an attorney? Uh, I do, like I said, residential real estate, titles and closings. I can write your wills. Uh, I mean, if you happen to get in a car accident, we can handle that, too. Um, and if we can't handle something for you, we can point you in a direction that, uh, that somebody can. So pretty much know everybody across the board as far as what they do and how they do it. So give us a call. We'll help you out. 292-3604. Fantastic. All right. Great. Thanks, guys.